Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, committed to pioneering the next generation of innovative lung cancer treatments. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anish Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about lung cancer screening with Dr. Isabel Cordopassi. Dr. Cordopassi is Section Chief for Thoracic Imaging at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgery. So, Isabel, maybe you can start off by telling us a little bit about what exactly you do. <laughs> yes. So, um, as a thoracic radiologist, we are involved in the care of patients that have lung disease, including lung cancer as well. And um, imaging has evolved a lot, and we have always new techniques that we need to be up to date. As a radiologist, we are not only involved in the scanning part of the process. Um, that's usually where they hear our names from the report. But we actually, before the scan happens, we have to do the appropriate protocol and tell the technician what to do for each patient because the scan is tailored for the question for the clinician. Uh, we also make sure that the scan is done appropriately in terms of radiation exposure, if the patient needs contrast or not, so you're not getting anything you don't need and you don't, you're not short of anything as well. And then after the images are acquired, we look at them and we interpret them and decide what we think we see and what does it mean. And we provide recommendations on what should be done next. Uh, we also participate in the tumor board of this Milo tumor board with all cancers. So every specialized radiologist joins the group. So we go to the thoracic oncology group. And so I think uh, just to pick up on a couple of points that you made there, I think a lot of patients and a lot of people in general might not realize how involved the thoracic radiologist is in the care of, of lung patients. For example, you may think my doctor ordered a chest x-ray. I went, I got a chest x-ray or a chest CT, and the radiologist read it and that's it. Um, tell us more about how you really tailor care in terms of the diagnostic approach for patients with lung disease. Because um, many people may think, you know, a chest X-ray is a chest X-ray and a CT scan is a CT scan. But are there really differences? Yes. Yeah, so we have different imaging modalities, we call. And we can, in terms of the lungs, for, for each body part, you have specific modalities. But in terms of the lung itself, you can image it with radiographs or with CAT scan or CTs. And the main difference is how much you see. So there are pros and cons. With a chest radiograph, you don't see as much detail of the lung parenchyma, but the radiation exposure is much less than a CT scan. Having said that, the CT scanners have evolved. Radiologists interconnected with technology, and as we evolve in the technology area, the scanners are faster, and they can be done with much less radiation. In the old days, it used to be that to the equivalent of one chest CT would be uh, 100 chest radiographs, but now it's only 10. So hmm. it's a tenth of the dosage that it used to be. 
Having said that, we have to be actively involved in that. So not every CT scanner is the same. And we here at Yale try to provide the lowest possible radiation. And we are constantly working with the physicists to approach that on the scanner and make sure the patients are not exposed to more than they should. And are there different ways of scanning patients uh, with CT? So, for example, there may be particular protocols if you're looking for a blood clot in the lung versus particular protocols if you're looking for a cancer in the lung. Or Tell us more about kind of the nuances in, that you use in terms of figuring out what exactly kind of CT, because... Not all CTs are the same, is that exactly, right? Exactly, correct. And that's what we call protocoling. That's the role of the radiologist before the exam happens. We have a list of all the tests that are ordered, and we go one by one, and we look at the history of the patient and what needs to be answered. If they are looking for a blood clot, you wanted to do a CTA with the timing of contrast in the pulmonary artery. So it's different than if you're looking for a screening for lung cancer, you don't need contrast. And if you don't need contrast, you are not going to give it because anything you may provide or give to the patient as a medication has side effects. So we tailor contrast, no contrast, the dosage that you're going to do. If it's a screening, we do very low dose because you're looking just for early cancers, malignancies. If it is a staging, a patient that has a known cancer and you want to know the extent of disease, you need contrast and you need more extensive imaging of the whole chest and abdomen. So that's how we tailor the scan itself to the patient's question of disease. And so... What people may not know is that your radiologist is very much involved in actually picking the right test for you based on your presumed diagnosis or the question that they're trying to answer. Exactly. And we are in direct contact with the referring physicians. They always call us and, and we always advise them to call us if they have a question about which kind of CT to order, because there are different kinds of CAT scans that you can do. And then once you have the images and you look at them, how can you tell? Because a lot of people, you know, you look at, at a, a scan and you say there's something there. But how can you know whether that something is high likelihood to be a cancer or low likelihood to be a cancer? I know in my field in breast, people often get really kerfuffled about this the lexicon that the radiologists will use. So sometimes they'll say something is suspicious or highly suspicious. Sometimes they'll say something is normal or benign. And the one that they hate the most <laughs> is the probably benign. So, so tell us a little bit about how you as a radiologist can look at something, a mass, a calcification of something, and, and know or have a degree of suspicion of is this something good or is this something bad? I think um, what some people may not understand as well is that not every radiologist is the same. I think being specialized on something is very important because you see a lot of that disease and you see the follow-up of it and then you learn. Even to be a thoracic radiologist, you have to do a year of fellowship after you finish your residency. If you're doing abdomen, it's a year of abdomen. So not Every radiologist is the same. In a practice, you want to be seen by a specialized radiologist, by a thoracic radiologist. And we look at features of the abnormality. Even if you have the word nodule, not every nodule is the same. You look at the borders, how it looks around it, the density, how white it is on the image, if there are other 
features in the image if the patient smokes and has lung emphysema and not like lung uh, holes in his lungs. All those things we put together and we also look at the patient's history and medical record to see the exposures he has had, how much back years he has smoked, and the notes from the symptoms from the physician that is referring the patient. So a lot goes into it. It's not just how it looks, but there is several features and the background. So it's a little bit like being a bit of a detective. You look at all of the clues that are there. You look at the images and then you put it together with the context and then you add in your experience, which for for specialized radiologists is is significant. Absolutely. And so so then you're able to kind of give the clinicians an idea of how suspicious you are. Right, and then you go into a range. I mean, we are not doing a biopsy to know definitely what it is, but some things really look like cancer and some things really look benign and you can be be very definite on those. And unfortunately, there will be those cases that you're in between and what helps most actually are prior exams. And some patients have CAT scans in other institutions that we don't have access to. And we may need to look at those before we come to a conclusion because the behavior of the lesion over time also tells tell us a lot about it. Right. It's just part of that story that the detectives the detective are putting, <laughs> putting yeah. together. And I think that's a really good point uh, for people to keep in mind. You know, we often ask patients, please bring your films or have your films sent. And, and people may wonder why that is, but it's really so that we have all of the information we need so that our radiologists can can really help to make that diagnosis. So now I understand that in radiology, there are times when you are doing tests for screening and there are times when you are doing tests for diagnosis or where you know a, a particular uh, abnormality exists and you're working that up. Tell us a little bit about the differences between those two kind of mindsets. So even the modality would change. So when you're screening, I'm talking about lung lung alone, when you're screening for lung cancer, you want to find little nodules. So you can do that with the very low dose CTE and no contrast. When you have a patient that has a known abnormality, so for example, the patient had a chest radiograph and they saw a mass, and now they want to know what it is. That's different. The first one, you're looking for something, yes or no. Now we have to characterize it. Then you can even go into the MRI scanner to get that better characterization. If it's in the lung, we usually give contrast, and you're looking to see how vascular something is, what's the contents of it. You're not just looking if it's there or not, but you're actually analyzing its internal contents to see what it is. And MRI has a very good contrast. So if you have a mass in the middle of your lungs, in the mediastinum, MRI is the best to look at that and see what's causing to the surrounding structure as well. So I want to take both of those two kind of branches of the tree and talk about them in turn. You know, in many cancers, we talk about screening as being a great way to try to find cancer as early as possible when it's the most treatable. Tell us about lung cancer screening. Who's eligible for it? What exactly is it? You've talked a little bit about a low-dose CT, but how frequently, who gets it, what's it like? 
Um, tell us a bit more. Yeah, we have a, a history of people have been trying to screen for lung cancer. Lung cancer is unfortunately associated with high mortality. So it's it's a very bad disease, uh, like all cancers, but the mortality is very high. So we want to prevent the progression. You want to see when people have it early, because if you treat it early, the survival is much better. So initially, um, on the 60s, people are trying to do that with chest radiograph, but they were not successful. And the, the best trial that really hit it was the National Lung Cancer Screening Trial that had 53,000 people enrolled, and they saw that there was 20% difference in mortality if you screen with low-dose CT versus chest radiograph. Based, so all the recommendations we do for screening is based on the data we have. This is the main data we have, and on the trial, people that were scanned were between 55 and 74 years old. Uh, the Preventive Service Task Force has included up to 77. So if you are a patient, a person 55 to 77 years old, and you have smoked more than 30 uh, back years, and you are current smoking, you are eligible to get a low-dose screening CT. And that would be yearly. Every year you get one. Okay. So this is not for everybody. This is for people between 55 and 77. That's correct. Who are current smokers. So you keep current smokers, or if you have quit smoking, it has to be within the last 15 years. Because if it's longer than that, then your risk decreases dramatically. So the, the longer you are not smoking, the better. But if it's within 15 years, you still need to uh, be screened. Okay. We're going to get more into who exactly gets screening and how, right after we take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more about screening for lung cancer with my guest, Dr. Isabel Cortapasi. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, working to eliminate cancer as a cause of death. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a medical minute about genetic testing, which can be useful for people with certain types of cancer that seem to run in their families. Patients that are considered at risk receive genetic counseling and testing so informed medical decisions can be based on their own personal risk assessment. Resources for genetic counseling and testing are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers. Interdisciplinary teams include geneticists, genetic counselors, physicians, and nurses who work together to provide risk assessment and steps to prevent the development of cancer. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Isabel Cordopasi. We're talking about lung cancer screening, um, but really about radiology as a whole. Right before the break, Dr. Cordopasi was telling us the importance of really having a specialized thoracic radiologist, how these, this specialty is so integral to the care team. They help in figuring out what tests to do. Did you know there are different kinds of CT scans, different protocols, depending on what they look at, and how they figure out whether something's of high suspicion, medium suspicion, or low suspicion for cancer? We started talking about lung cancer screening, which Dr. Cordopasi, you were saying, is really between the ages of 55 and 77 for either 
current smokers or people who have quit within the last 15 years. But you also said that these people have to have smoked 30 pack years. Tell us what that means. So the more you smoke, the higher the risk. And how we in medicine calculate that risk is based on, so pack years are calculated. We multiply the average number of packs of cigarettes that are smoked per day by the number of year a person has smoked. So that's packs times year. So if you smoke one pack of cigarette a day for one year, you have one pack year. I get it. So if you are a current smoker and you've been smoking for the last 15 years, but you've only smoked a pack a day, so your pack years is 15. And so you would not be eligible for screening. Is that right? That's correct. Um, They consider high-risk population are the, the people who have smoked more than 30 pack a year. So either one pack a year a day for 30 years or two packs a day for 15 years and so forth. I'm with you. And so if you are, you know, you've been smoking for 30 years, but you've smoked you know, three quarters of a pack a day or you've smoked a pack a day, but then you quit for a couple of years and then you restarted, you're still not eligible. That's correct. It has to be at least 30 pack a year. And and how do they know that you're still not at risk? I mean, that's a lot of smoking. What gave them the magic number of 30 pack years or was this something that they pulled out of the air? Well, so that's uh, going back to that National Lung Screening Trial, which was the biggest data we ever had, is seeing how many, looking at history, we learn from from our own history and seeing that patients who have smoked less than 30 pack a year are not as much as a risk as the ones who smoked more than 30. And we do have a division between high risk, moderate risk, and uh, low risk. And I think the moderate risk is about 20 pack a year, but those are not eligible by Medicare, and they're not recommended to get the scanner because they're not high risk. Any smoking is bad, right? But the more you smoke, more frequently and more intense, the worse it is for your lungs. And so... So the people who meet that 30-pack year who uh, are current smokers who are between the ages of 55 and 77 and uh, who have not quit within the last 15 years, um, they're eligible for screening once a year with a low-dose CT scan. That's correct. And make sure you do get a low-dose CT, not a regular dose. And so how... How do you do that? Do you talk to your family doctor? Do you go to a cancer center? I mean, should your doctor be talking to you about that? Is that something that you should initiate? How how does that happen? So currently, there are two ways. You could um, go to your doctor, to your primary care physician, and ask about lung cancer screening. And they may recommend you to get the, if you fulfill the requirements, if you are eligible, to get a CT scan, a low-dose CT, and he would then review the results with you. There is another way which we believe is the ideal way because it's a team that supports. You have a program. 
You can have a lung cancer screening program instead of having just the scan. In the program, you'd have a decision support group that is going to meet with you, assess your risk, and educate you as well on the findings you may have on the CT that may not be cancers, maybe other things. And then you will also be referred if your scan is positive, either for a spot in your lung, a nodule, or for something else, they would know where to send you next. Because the radiologist, we, when we read the scan, we recommend things for incidental findings as well. And so how do you know where such programs exist? I mean, presumably these are at large academic That's centers. Um, but uh, other than that, how, how would you find out? Uh, well, we have here at Yale in the Smilo Cancer Center, we have the Yale uh, Lung Scan. And you can just call 200 lung and you, you reach them and they know how to direct you to get the scanner and get the counseling and the smoke cessation and everything. Otherwise, if you ask your primary care, they probably know which institutions, but I would imagine it's mainly academic, larger institutions. The small private practices can provide you a scan, but not the support that you need. Right. Um, okay. So what if, uh, what if you are outside of those criteria? But let's say you're in that moderate risk. You know that you've smoked quite a bit. You know that you're at risk and you're thinking, I'm kind of a little bit scared now of getting lung cancer. I know it's got high mortality. Can they still get into the program even if it's not covered by Medicare? Uh, I don't think in the program, no. The program is for eligible patients. You can still ask your doctor and self-pay for a scan, um, but that the only thing is that has not been proven by data that would change your survival. Okay, so who should get a scan um, when they think that there's a problem? In other words, let's suppose you're in that moderate risk group, but now all of a sudden you've started coughing up blood for the last two weeks. Is that a different category? Absolutely. So the screening is specifically for asymptomatic patients. If you're having symptoms, you need to go see your doctor right away, especially uh, coughing out blood or new cough. Uh, usually patients who smoke a lot, they have shortness of breath. But if you have any change on that baseline status of, of uh, catching air, you need to see a doctor because there may be even progression of your chronic disease or you may have some acute thing on top of it. And so if they do that, as a radiologist, would you then be recommending that they have a routine screening scan or is the type of scan that you would recommend different? Absolutely different because now the patient has symptoms. So the screening with the low dose and no contrast is for people who don't have symptoms and we want to do a check on their lungs and make sure there is no nodules. If you have symptoms, then you really worried about either a cancer or any other abnormality that may lead you to bleeding and pain and things like that. So you want to be as complete as possible with the scan. So usually you do in that case a contrast enhance with contrast IV, uh, chest CT, and with full dose. You wouldn't do a low dose. Mm -hmm. yeah, some patients, they say that they have either iodine allergies or allergies to contrast dye. What do you do in those patients? 
So depending, it depends on the type of allergy. We always look at the, that's another thing we do before we protocol is to look at the patient's history and see if they have had any allergies to CT contrast or iodinated contrast. If they have had severe allergy, like uh, anaphylaxis, they cannot receive it again because the risk is too high. And you try to have an alternative test. So we can try to do a CT without contrast. The other option is to do an MRI because the contrast of MR scan is different than the CT scan. And if you have been allergic to a CT, contrast does not mean at all that you are allergic to MR contrast. And some people say that they're allergic to shellfish. Is there a cross-reactivity between shellfish and contrast dye? It's more uh, like an urban legend these days. In the old days, people used to think so, but now, no, that there, is no there is no proven correlation between those two. Okay. So let's suppose somebody goes and they have the full-dose contrast-enhanced CT scan, and you see something. Is that sufficient for you to make a diagnosis, or do you then have to do additional tests? It depends on what we see. Every case is very different. We really do a care that is patient-tailored, and every patient is different. And depends on what we see on the scanner. We have to put everything together. And many times we do come up with a final conclusion. Maybe there is only an infection, the patient can get better. But sometimes you may want to investigate further to get to a better diagnosis. And what are some of those investigations? So you may, you may do additional testing. So if in a patient who couldn't get IV contrast, you may start with a chest CT without contrast, and then you see something that you need to further characterize because you need to know the tissue. Then you would refer them to an MRI and, or a PET scan. A PET scan is another cancer imaging that looks at the FDG avidity. So you may refer to further testing, or you can see something outside the chest because when we do a CAT scan of the chest, we also image a piece of the neck and a piece of the abdomen. And you may see something there that indicates there is more pathology. So you may recommend an abdominal study, a CT or an MRI. And ultimately, after you've finished all of the imaging, how do you actually make the diagnosis? We put it all together, uh, but in terms of cancer, I would say most of patients, if not all, we end up getting a tissue sampling and a biopsy. And how does that work? Is it the radiologists that do that tissue sampling or is it a surgeon or does it really depend? It depends on the location of the lesion. You can get to a lesion through your mouth and your airways uh, bronchoscopically, which is the pulmonologist who do that. You can get a intervention radiologist to go through your chest wall and take a little piece of the lesion. Or you can also have the thoracic surgeon go in if it's in the middle of the lungs in the mediastinum. And so, and so after the diagnosis is made and it's lung cancer, one of the things that people often worry about are the follow-up scans. What do they need to get? How frequently do they need to get it to see whether this cancer is responding to therapy or whether it's going to come back, which is everybody's fear? 
Right. It, it is uh, very anxious. And so the, the first thing is in patients who have even suspicious or a diagnosis, a newly diagnosis of lung cancer, we all get together in a room, surgery, pulmonologist, radiologist, pathologist, and we discuss the case and we come up with a plan, a multidisciplinary plan. Uh, if the patient is going to go to a surgical resection or if the patient is going to go undergo chemotherapy, chemo radiation and things like that. Depending on how you are being treated, that's what's going to define the follow-up. If you have a surgical resection and they take out the entire tumor, you're not going to need a scan as often as if you are undergoing chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Um, usually chemotherapy, and depends also if you are part of a trial. So the new drugs that come out, people have trials and they have specific times that need to be imaged every one month or every three months. And usually the oncologist follows that protocol. And so once a, a patient has been definitively treated, they've gotten through their surgery, their chemotherapy, they've been told essentially, okay, uh, we've got it, live long and prosper. Often patients have a little bit of anxiety about, I had cancer, could this come back? Are, is radiology involved in getting routine scans periodically to make sure that it didn't come back, just like the screening studies initially? So um, I think right after you have your treatment and you're, say, you're declared free of disease, you still get yearly scans for a short period of time, for a few years. After those have been cleared, then that's no longer the case. Right now, there is no guidelines to screen patients with history of lung cancer, but there has been the discussion of that and it may be part of the future, uh, close future. Dr. Isabel Cordopasi is Section Chief for Thoracic Imaging at Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.